Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Kieran Yates, and this week, Rebecca Nicholson reports from the Desert Storm of Coachella, plus tracks from Courtney Barnett, Lana Del Rey, and Lincoln Park in Singles Club. That's all here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. Michael Han is sitting in for Alexis this week, who has dared to take a holiday. Plus, Harriet Gibson joins us. Hey! <laughs> How are you guys doing? I'm not bad. I've just spent the whole week thinking about Alexis in a tent because he's camping. <laughs> is he? Yeah, he's, he's glamping though. He's cheating, really. Where? He's gone to one of those feather down farms places where there is a wood burning stove in there. But my wife once went to one that said it took an hour to boil uh, the kettle for a pot of tea there. I was Brilliant. telling Alexis this and he didn't sound very happy about the prospect. Well, last time he we went camping, he went with one of his mates and then he just left in the dead of the night with the kids because he was having such a shit time. And then no. they woke up and he had just gone. <laughs> so his mates that he were camping with just like called him in the morning like, uh, your car and tent and family have gone. Well, if, if Alexis can't make cocktails, he's not happy. <laughs> we know this to be the truth. Um, anyway, what's been happening this week, guys? Kieran, the big one, I know a story you've been following very closely, has been the ACDC, are they to split or aren't they to split? Because rumours started swirling, as we're obliged mm-hmm. to say, earlier this week that they were going to call it a day owing to the illness of one member, which turned out to be Malcolm Young, the founder and rhythm guitarist and kind of the linchpin of the oh, group. Um, but ACDC finally released a statement yesterday saying that uh, Malcolm Young would be taking a break, but they would be carrying on. And now they, they've done that before, actually. Malcolm Young was ill in the 1980s, and his nephew Stevie Young replaced him on rhythm guitar. Um, like but the Sugar Babes. Like, well, not quite like the Sugar Babes, not, more like Menudo, because it's a kind of generational replacement. Right, right, so, right. you know, just getting someone younger in. Um, it'd be interesting to see what becomes of this, because they're meant to be assembling in Vancouver to start recording a new album next month. But Malcolm Young is uh, the man who writes the riffs, or as one is uh, obliged to say in heavy metal circles, the Riffmeister. <laughs> um, I don't know if have contributed his riffs by mobile phone or something, um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But the thing is, ACDC, although the albums, I mean, the albums are still big, but they're not being the hits like they were 30 years ago, are still you know, basically the biggest touring band in the world. Their last tour, the Black Ice Tour, between 2008 and 2010, was the second biggest grossing tour in history. You know, it took $460 million. They played to, I think it was 5.8 million people, some ludicrous mm. number of people. Um, so I guess I guess in a way ACDC is a business and although they don't operate that frequently it's kind of every five, six, seven years they come out they probably need to to, to still exist they probably, there are probably so many people who depend on ACDC for their livings that, uh, that it's incumbent upon them to go out and do something every so often mm-hmm. but we'll see I mean I, obviously I think the most important thing is that ACDC fans like me, I adore ACDC. Power Age was the first album I ever bought, and even as I sort of renounced heavy metal in my indie years, I never really renounced ACDC. Mm. 
I think all of us would wish Malcolm Young the very best of health and hope for as full a recovery as possible. What are the, what are the rock forums saying or whatever? I've been too tied up with just tr- t- t- looking at the ACDC website every five minutes to see if they've updated to look at the rock forums. But on the Guardian threads, you know, the outpouring of, of love for ACDC and the wish for Malcolm Young to get better is... Is very prevalent, perhaps not from the hip hop and dubstep communities, but right, certainly from yes. the the rock community. Yeah, nothing's come up on Rap Radar about it, but um. <laughs> <laughs> other the source have gone big on it. Oh, uh, what's what's been happening with you, Harriet? Um, well, I was just going to add to that. I mean, personally, I'm more of a kind of uh, my riffs. I like my sort of made by members of Blur or Pavement, like mm-hmm. Coxon and sort of ridiculous indie things. But I still, um, although I'm not really a fan at all of ACDC's music, I think bands like that are pretty integral for keeping the industry afloat. And it seems like there aren't any other rock bands of our generation that can kind of sell out arenas or step up as much as that, apart from Coldplay, who have just announced a tour, mm-hmm. which I'm incredibly I excited that. about. That's although I think I talk about Coldplay every single time I'm on the podcast, so I'm just going to yeah, stop you're, quickly. You're, you're holding it down for their fan base, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, I am indeed. Um, <laughs> aside from that, we we're going to talk about Pharrell's crying, which really touched me and millions. Me too. Uh, at the start I usually of the week. hate like over earnest things like that, but there's something about him that's so sweet. Well, I don't like him personally because I interviewed him recently at the Brits thing, and he oh, was yeah, yeah. really cold. I think he was probably incredibly busy, and his publicist was sort of urging him to sort of speak to people for about five seconds. Um, but. There was something really great about seeing somebody so powerful, so weak in front of Oprah suddenly. And you could tell like that she'd stumbled upon gold, couldn't you? Like yeah. she was just like, Yes. And she was digging it. She yeah. started talking about his grandma <laughs> and yeah, she just let well, those tears also, flow. It, kind of, it relates back to art sorry, very creaky chair there. Mm. I think it also relates back to artists' relationships with their audiences. And audiences want to feel that what they do affects the artist in the same way that what the artist does affects the audience. And yeah, it, it feels profoundly moving when you think that the artist is also engaged in this emotional connection with you. Um, I went to see the 1975 at the Albert Hall the other week. And during um, his spectral piano ballad about his kid brother... Whose title I've forgotten? Is there somebody out, out there, there who will... Take care of me? Yeah, something, something like that. that. Right. That's really quite bad, isn't it? I've forgotten the name of the song. But Matt Healy started crying at his piano <laughs> and you could feel the outpouring of love from the audience because you know, he was engaged yeah. with the moment. People love that. There does seem to be a lot of emotion in music at the moment, like London <coughs> Grammar and uh, Future Islands, but it is that kind of the next level where you actually physically show the emotion pouring out of your face mm-hmm. that I think is important. Like the tears I was alluding to there. Yes. Not spittle. <laughs> snot or anything. Oh, no, spittle and snot have their place as well. Um, and actually, I think there's something there's something quite nice. It almost feels like reactionary to the the hyper-cynical world of mm. music criticism or music reviews or even like media reviews over the last year or so, where sort of style guides have got very vicey and not, not misanthropic, but just sort of hyper-hyper-critical um, of any sort of displays of emotion or displays of over earnestness and it's it's kind of nice to see that that the response to that has just been to cry more well also it comes (laughs) to what music is really about and you become so wrapped up especially in the the jobs we do you become so wrapped up with you know oh we better do the 20 best b-sides ever or the Mm. 10 best um synth breaks or we've got to think about you know how these tour dates reflect on the future state of the industry but what's important about music is how it makes you feel and Pharrell crying was a reflection of that. Mm. I was at the um, the London Electronic Music event uh, this weekend, and they were the, they had this like little Ableton set up, um, 
most sort of there were lots of, it was like very geeky and people were like you know playing on the, the new ableton push making beats and whatever and at some one point this guy was just getting i was talking to one of these like you know sort of nerdy guys he was just getting so overwhelmed by like the emotion that <laughs> of like making these beats and like hearing his beats being like looped in this really clean way on these like amazing sonos speakers that he was getting choked up when he was talking to me and i was like are you all right mate and he was like oh god it's just you know the sound's just so clean i just oh god sorry i just i just really love that clean sound that's like, <laughs> that nice. that, that not really getting moved by the music is it as much as moved by the technology i know but it's still sweet it's still sweet that's, that's, <laughs> what else anything else sky ferreira oh right yes yeah. so uh sky ferreira uh launched her new video for i blame myself oh yeah i think it's called um yesterday she's kind of been hyping it up all week so it was quite kind of a big event but uh lots of people have criticized her for being racist and using black dancers as props um the basic premise is that she is kind of in a gang in a kind of ghetto right. and she gets arrested and What's sexier ki- than a ghetto, eh? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's kind of an exclusive black male what, dance. The, well, there's, there's one white guy covered with tattoos, yeah. um, some kind of baker, biker gang. What's right. a baker gang? That would be even better. <laughs> a man from a baker gang thrusting scones upon her. And she says it's got a soggy bottom. Sorry. But uh, the, the video kicks off with what appears to be kind of rival people mm. offering each other advice on what they should do with themselves. But right. Sky appears to be the uniting factor mm-hmm. in these gangs. Yeah, they all come together behind her and just dance it is a weird one i mean her defense is it's fundamentally um i can't be a racist because racist is the worst thing you can be which seems to be like the de facto defense these days you remember mm-hmm. when cheryl cole assaulted the lavatory attendant in a nightclub and she was convicted of the assault but acquitted of it being racially aggravated she said, i'm delighted by this verdict it proves i'm not racist because well, racist is the worst thing you can be hang on you still assaulted yeah, someone right. I'm sure Sky Ferreira is not racist, but it, it, it is it is a careless video. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's also the notion that okay, black men, young black men, hey, gangs. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the signifier. Mm-hmm. You know, when you watch videos of white acts, when they use black people, the women are either you know, exotic dan- the women are exotic dancers, and the men are gang members. Those are the two rules that seem to to, to apply. Mm-hmm. So, I do think people should take more care over these videos, especially when. You know, cultural misappropriation of sort of black women's bodies, particularly, is so entrenched in the cultural rhetoric. There's so much criticism. How can you still be doing this after people like Lily Allen have been slated massively yeah. in media for it? I just, she, it just she, feels very unthinking, doesn't it? She uses the same argument that she auditioned the, well, she hired the best dancers that right. there were. So, um, you know, it would have been kind of racist then to hire white people just to kind of. But then, if she'd been hiring white people, would they have filmed it in the ghetto? Yeah, you exactly. Know? So, hmm, chicken and egg. Really, yeah, really misguided. Yeah, but also fetishizing ghettos and, and all of that yeah. stuff is totally inappropriate and uncomfortable kind of anyway. Gang poverty tourism. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a weird scene at the end as well where she is in jail and then she starts sort of taking her top off in front of the prison guard. It gets very surreal. But I think she's uh, sort of venting a lot of her frustrations of the last six months. You know, she's been arrested yeah. and then gotten a lot of trouble for posing nude on the front of her album cover and stuff. So mm-hmm. it's it's probably meant to be symbolic, but it's just come out really badly. Yeah. Oh, man, I see this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for the news. Let's get to Singles Club. Harriet, your track first. Oh, hey, friends, and we don't need no interrupt. 
That was Courtney Barnett and Anonymous Club. So Courtney, she is a 24-year-old Australian singer-songwriter. Mm-hmm. Um, and this song, Anonymous Club, uh, was actually my favourite from her EP that she released last year, um, A Sea of Split Peas. But she's releasing it as a single in May. Mm. Um, I really love it. Um, it's quite different to the other songs she's released so far. She's been compared to kind of a Dylan-esque figure because she sort of sing-talks most of her lyrics. Mm. Um, And it's very kind of, the narrative is like, you know, I woke up this morning and felt depressed and went over and talked Mm. to a dog. I'm just going to stop actually because I don't know. (laughs) It's not going to go anywhere this bit. Um, But uh, this song I I, I love because it's very sort of warm and woozy and uh, kind of romantic. It's slightly Dawson's Mm Creek-esque in some ways. It's a bit saccharine and uh, sort of sugary and sweet and and a bit sort of adolescent. But I think that's kind of why I like it. It makes me feel a little bit teenage and like I've... um, hanging out with a boy yeah exactly yeah. so it's so sort of exciting yeah. love isn't it that that experience of having all of those overwhelming feelings um but also being sort of quietly confident in you know yeah. in love when you have that adoration but from a distance and it's not that sort of you know big jesse J vocal you know i'm i'm really in love and i want to sing it out and do loads of vocal runs it's like i've, I've got all these feelings inside <laughs> i want to whisper about it did you like it then? Uh, no. <laughs> no, I just uh, I just like the feeling of being in love from <laughs> what I can remember. Um, yeah, no, I well I I heard about her because she was in one of she, you know you know how NME do you know get really overexcited about ones to watch um, at the beginning of the year and they mm. do like four issues dedicated to it and she was one of the big girls that they were really championing um, and I think somebody else brought in a track by her and thought that she was sort of okay but I don't think I would listen to her in my personal time. What do you think Michael? I really like Courtney Barnett. I really loved the EPs last year. I thought there was some fantastic stuff on there. Um, I went to see her live earlier this year. I really enjoyed it. I think she's kind of charmingly not quite shambolic, that's, that's not quite the right word, but mm. there's a, a kind of charming raggedness about it. And I think at her best, she's a really, really good writer. Um, I think the lyrics, I mean, you could trace them back to kind of 90 slackerdom quite easily, mm-hmm. but there's a kind of dark edge to them sometimes, you know, hints of mental illness, um, a kind of desperation sometimes, but they're also very witty. However, Anonymous Club is, while it's your favourite, it's one of my least favourites. Mm. I think this is the point in which she comes closest to, to dreary indie, to be honest. No. Yeah, no. I, I, I find this one colourless and grey. And the, the kind of lyrics she writes, I think when, they, when they're right, they're really, really good and vivid. But when they're wrong, they just come across a bit like someone reading out a particularly dull diary. And I think on this one, it gets a bit into particularly dull diary territory. I think it's the teenage girl thing that I kind of really associate yeah. with in that respect. Because I do hate teenage yeah. girls. <laughs> I, I've got a teenage girl. She's my daughter. I want to make that very plain. But, you know. <laughs> um, so actually, no thumbs up, really. <laughs> <laughs> no, Courtney, Courtney Barnett, yes in principle, very much yes in principle. I would recommend that people go out and buy the EPs and uh, I hope that she'll make a full-length album, but I don't think this is the best representation of her. No.
It's not. Next up, Michael's track. That was Lana Del Rey and West Coast. You know when you wash your kitchen floor, or if you have a wooden floor or a vinyl floor, and and you do it the wrong way round, and suddenly you realise that you're in the corner of the room with your mop and your bucket of water, and the sink is on the other side of the room and the floor is soaking wet and you're in your socks. Mm -hmm. I was worried that Lana Del Rey musically would be in that situation. (laughs) But she would have mopped herself into the wrong corner of the room. Um, so West Coast is from her comeback. Um, it's not quite more of the same. Um, I think at some point she's going to have to address the issue of can she do something other than sultry. But at least this one doesn't appear to be you know, the complete, again, David Lynchian, mm-hmm. bad boy on the run. I'm in my 50 shades. I think as Harriet pointed out on our music blog that there's a, if anything, she's moving more kind of into 80s drive time with this, which is a great, a great sound at the moment. Because <laughs> it is everywhere, isn't it? But I, th- I think this is really nicely done. There's enough quirks and tricks in in the track. You know, there's, there's abrupt changes about a minute and a half in that uh, it, it returns to where we were before. But it does enough with the song to keep it interesting. But I think most importantly, it keeps Lana Del Rey interesting. I think um, the problem for her was always going to be people going, right, we know you stick, you're done. Um, and the important thing was that she could move on from the first album. I think given how defined the personality was, it's really hard to move on a long way from there. But I think she's gone far enough to actually prick up expectation for this record. I'm now genuinely curious to hear her second album in the wake of what we've heard so far. Um, I mean, Lana Del Rey is not someone that I am you know, madly obsessed with. I mean, this is one that I picked because it's the big name release of the week. Um, but I think as a big name release, it, it does its job, certainly. I liked it. What do you think, Harriet? Um, I, I really liked it as well. I actually didn't, I wasn't too keen on her last album. I found it really claustrophobic and really kind of overwhelmingly emotional mm-hmm. to the point where I just couldn't enjoy it. I felt trapped listening yeah. to it, uh, smothered in kind of this real cinema, like, you know, melancholia and uh, and, and, and kind of theatricality. Yeah, I couldn't really, really hear theatrical. the songs. That's what I felt from it. But I mean, I don't know, um, I don't want to attribute it all to her producer because she writes most of her material, but I, I, you know, there is a definite influence of Dan from the Black Keys on this. The guitar work is very prevalent in it. Mm. Um, and I really loved it. The one thing that sort of jars me slightly is the, the repeated lyric of uh, You've Got the Music in You, which is, of course is uh, best known from the New Radicals uh, popular hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I love that song. <laughs> me too. <Yeah. laughs> I can't get it out of my head every time I hear it because they're so different songs. Like, um, anyway, but no, yeah, I, re- I really like this one. Yeah, I, I quite like the drowsiness of it, but um, again, I didn't really like her last album. And actually, I find I'm always really bemused when I meet people who uh, sort of feel strongly any way towards Lana Del Rey, because to me, she's just sort of such a blip, 
you know, mm. which is sort of so, so normal. Do you think it was fundamentally whatever. a media creation then first time round? Here is this persona, never yeah, mind the music. Yeah, I think so. I think, I think so. I think that she's just an artist that's really difficult to get excited by fundamentally. And she, she debuted this at Coachella, right? And, um, you know, on the blogs, people were like really excited. And on Twitter, I was, you know, I was following the Coachella hashtag. And people were like thrilled, you know, really excited mm. that she'd done this new track. And, you know, I think she was like trending for a little while. And I was thinking, oh my God, I don't understand why she's why people are so excited I, I know what it. you mean I, I find you know? it hard to get excited about someone who projects ennui as, right. as their principal mm. thing I mean exactly. I, I like I get excited by things that are projecting excitement yeah so. cool. Um but yeah I thought this I mean I think this is just like whatever although this is better than the Summertime Sadness song because it's so funny because when I think of Lana Del Rey because that's always pushed on Radio 1 or you know, in cars over the summer, I always think of her as this sort of Calvin Harris dance mm. vocalist. And then I remember that, oh, no, this is actually what she sounds like. And it is not as good. <laughs> Next up, my track. That's Lincoln Park featuring Rakim, Guilty All the Same. So that is my track. <laughs> well, I thought I could bring it in because last week uh, Alexis brought in Ed Sheeran, which was embarrassing. So I was like, no, sure, I'm going to bring this in because actually this is sort of embarrassing to the outside world, but I'm holding it down for my love for Lincoln Park because I used to love them when I was a little bit younger. So you deny the rock, but really you're a rocker. Yeah, but new metal is not really rock. And well, I think all new metal the... bands would disagree. <laughs> not in my world. And it was such a little snippet. It was a tiny little snippet of my life of it being really cool because I had basically I, I sort of lived in London and then for a year I moved to sort of the deepest, darkest Wales well, on the Welsh border. And um, I went to school and sort of lived with a family for a bit and they were all really into corn and disturbed and you know everyone in school this was like the cool music and so I sort of got into it because it was angry and I was also angry Michael um, but I really liked it because they had you know corn did all those collaborations with Nas and Ice Cube and Limp Bizkit did that DMX tune and they did stuff with Busta Rhymes and then obviously Jay-Z did Lincoln Parks so there was always this sort of presence of these hip-hop guys or rap guys featuring on these new metal tracks and it was you know I guess I mean now if I looking back I'm like oh of course they used that for their cool capital but actually at that time it felt like they were equally as cool in certain new metal subcultures and uh yeah this sort of brought me back to that this is for people who, who aren't so claimed to them it's their sixth album the guy the main guy that usually does the sort of pseudo shitty rapping is called Mike Shinoda and he's taking a backseat on this for Rakim who's actually really great on it and I sort of forget when I sometimes I do revisit this stuff and hear like those old uh hip-hop tracks and hear sort of Nas and and Wu-Tang and and all those collaborations with Corn and Biscuit and blah blah blah, and they they do sound really good. You know, it is. I mean, it's not exactly four four, <laughs> but it does. You know, it it does uh, it does feel like it fits on here because there's a coarseness to the rapping, uh, which either fits really well or there's a softness um, to the sort of heaviness of these like massive guitar riffs and really angry shouts, and it and it also works quite well. Uh, Mike Shinoda was interviewed by Vice recently and. 
he had that quote about sort of wanting to be taken seriously as an artist and now he's like being finally accepted by the rock community as opposed to the new metal and then the emo community and then sort of into sort of shit metal but this is his coming out as an artist you know he wants to be on your rock forums michael (laughs) (laughs) my rock forums (laughs) (laughs) what do you think it goes on a long time, doesn't it? It's uh, seven minutes long, this song. Um, uh, the most interesting thing for me um, is that it features Rakim rather than um, a younger, hipper, cooler rapper. Mm. It feels like Linkin Park saying, right, OK, we've accepted that we're, we're fundamentally a heritage rock act now, mm. having been going for the best part of 20 years. Aaron's right. is older. We may as well embrace Rakim and place ourselves there as elder statesmen rather than as people who are breaking new ground. There was an interesting period about three or four years ago when Linkin Park were very much trying to reposition themselves as an art rock group. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was we, we ran a feature on them in film and music, and they were very much pitched as, as no, really, no, really, people think they're new metal, but they're actually art rock. Um, I think they've maybe given up on that idea <laughs> now. This is fairly straight-ahead metal, isn't it? <laughs> Linkin Park are not a group that I've ever disliked in the way that I, I really do dislike Limp Biscuit or I, I really don't care for Corn. Um, but I don't, I really I don't, don't find it that I really I don't find it very exciting. I've got to say, mm-hmm. um, I couldn't quite see the point in Rakim being there for the point for the sake of the song. I mean, he doesn't come in until about five minutes in, does he? Mm-hmm. And by that time, you know, you know what the song's doing. He doesn't add any drama to it particularly. It's always nice to hear his voice um, because he is one of the great rappers and one of the great writers in rap as well. Even I know enough to know that. That's right. Having loved Eric B and Rakim first time round, I do too. have original paid in full, actually, Kieran. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> and, and then there's that great anecdote about Eric B getting really pissed off when Colcut did the paid in full thing. because the Seven Minutes of Madness. Yeah, but, yeah exactly, because they basically just like took him off it completely. And then mm. Eric B and Rakim did like a Top of the Pops feature and Eric B just kind of had to stand there because they'd taken all his <laughs> they'd like d- done loads of like lamp, like looping and sampling over his bits and he got really angry we should say if you haven't heard the seven minutes of madness mix of painful is amazing so and still good. sounds amazing even now um but my theory about new metal is that within 10 years i think it's going to be completely critically rehabilitated mm. uh, in the same way that groups like acdc and black sabbath are now uh, because all the people who listened to it when they were kids are going to be in kind of they're going to be holding down jobs in the media and broadcasting what have you in the same way that people like me who loved metal when we were kids rehabilitated metal when we got jobs in the media i think it's going to happen again mm. now of course there'll be plenty of people listening who rightly say it doesn't matter what you critics think because people out there still listen to it just as they always listen to acdc but the point is, at the moment, it's kind of written out of the story of rock when yeah. you read it. It's just this kind of terrible aberration of all. That's kind of why I like it, though, mm. because but, you can like it without being in the in-gang. But I think, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really important um, in a few years' time. Um, and at the moment, a lot of metal. I mean, the, I, I have enough interest in metal that I do listen to a fair bit of what I get sent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, very much now, the, the majority of the stuff you get sent reflects back to traditional metal, the metal that I understand and grew up with. But I bet in 10 years' time there are going to be tons of bands with um, five-string basses and down-tuned guitars talking about how much their mums hated them. But also I think that in our jobs you get you you sort of become so fascinated by subcultures more than maybe you would sort of 
in other walks of life. Um, but yeah, this and that's why I like it is because it's such a fascinating subculture. You know, I'm always fascinated by like download. I'm always fascinated by like mm. those fans and those ride or die people who had like you know lots of people bought hybrid theory you know and it was like such it was such it was so sort of identifying for a group of people that are now writing these nostalgia pieces you know these long form like long reads nostalgia pieces about new metal which which for someone like me you sort of could have liked and you could jump on a little bit and then go back to hip-hop whereas I don't know if you could do that so easily with with the metal scene because it was so big and so vast and you were sort of within it and you had to be sort of encapsulated within that and you had to understand the con the context and the heritage whereas this was kind of new and really angry and sort of fun and, and was never really taken that seriously that you could sort of like it a little bit and then be like okay that's enough it's a bit too loud mm. and if we're talking about emotion in music they certainly certainly uh yeah their songs for imagine just being an angry teenager exactly with, like before grime <laughs> <laughs> this is like what you want right um, what, I what I thought was fairly interesting about this song in particular, because when I think of Linkin Park and uh, that era of music, I think about the really expensive music videos. Um, so I was quite intrigued to see what they'd done with this, because there's obviously a lot less money in, in music now. Um, but they've actually done it with a, their video with um, a, a video game project. Project Spark? Yeah, with Xbox. Which makes sense. It sounds like a song that would soundtrack a video game. Because mm-hmm. like, so many of those kind of metal songs are perfect for those sort of nerdy boys, I shouldn't be saying this, sorry, nerdy boys sat at their sort of Xboxes playing into the, like the early hours of the night listening to really heavy music. And um, it kind of goes really hand in hand with that. I know Eminem did it recently with his mm-hmm. album. He released it via an, a, a game. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, they, they will probably live on forever if they, if, if they keep on with that kind of strategy. Yeah, I don't like it though. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not very angry. <laughs> Sadly, I'm incredibly jubilant. All the time. And that's it for Singles Club. Last weekend, our very own Rebecca Nicholson braved the sandstorms and many bums on show at this year's Coachella Valley Music Festival. She hung out with singer-songwriter Emmy the Great and spoke to Courtney Barnett about ditching her bar job to go on tour. I am Rebecca Nicholson and I am here at Coachella um, with Emmy the Great. Hello. Hi. And we have been taking in the delights of the festival, which right now seem a little bit far away because we're in the middle of quite a big sandstorm. So I guess the big talking point so far has been uh, the Outcast set, which I saw last night. And did you saw them? Yeah, I was here. I, I thought it was pretty great, but I was watching from the side of the stage and I don't really think I got the full brunt of it. Yeah. Apparently Prince was watching as well. From the side of the stage? No, uh, Prince was watching. He, did, did you hear him say, did you hear Andre 3000 say he was like, one of my big heroes is here today. Um, he's in the audience, Prince. And I was like, oh my God, Prince is going to get on stage. And it was no, it was just a name check. And Future got on stage and did three tracks instead. Which is okay, which is good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Because people were saying, well, I was one of the people saying that it was slightly underwhelming. I I felt like we were quite far into the crowd and it felt like there was no atmosphere. And as it went along, like people left in droves and it was really shocking how many people left. By the end, it was very small, a relatively small crowd for a headliner. Yesterday was underwhelming in general. I think a lot of people were arriving on the Friday and the logistics of getting here and getting into the festival are truly, I mean the most complicated situation I've ever been in to get into a festival. 
So I think maybe people were tired. It was really, really hot. I saw everything, everything I saw yesterday, people were leaving halfway through and there were half as many people in the crowd as there were at the beginning. So you were mounting a defence of Outkast. I mean, I thought they were great. It was, it's the first show that they were doing, because you know that Coachella, basically, they pay, when bands get back together, they pay those bands, um, they pay for those bands' tours afterwards for the reunion tour. So this is the first show of a huge reunion tour for Outkast, and I actually think it should have been in the middle or something to give them a chance to kind of let it breathe. But, I mean, they're, they're Outkast. They're fantastic. It's subtle music, you know. It's actually... They're not really all about the hits. They've made a lot of really great albums. Yeah. And what else did you see that you enjoyed yesterday? Yesterday, I saw a couple of songs of The Replacements, which I actually... I didn't know who they were until someone told me that they were the... They wrote Swinging Party, which then Kindness covered and Lord covered. So then I went there and I didn't want to be the dick in the crowd. He's like, do the Lord song! <laughs> saw that, that was good. I didn't see much with you. I think you went to see Girl Talk, which I saw from the other side of the crowd. I didn't really understand what was happening. It seemed like a DJ doing mashups from 2003 to me, but you you said that actually it made sense if you were down the front. Eventually it made sense. Yesterday was a really big dance day at Coachella. I think when you come to America, you suddenly realise that there's this movement going on. It's just like DJ heavy Molly time for everyone and there were just so many ravers at Coachella yesterday it was actually kind of terrifying and Girl Talk made sense to me because of that and I was watching because I'd heard that he had arranged um, that the management had arranged for like nine rappers to come and join on stage and no one knew who the rappers were but they thought it was going to be Chance the Rapper and in the end I don't know who came on stage the visuals cut out. At one well, the visuals were Brian Ferry, weren't they? Brian Ferry set from another stage. So that was... I, I was like, OK, so they've arranged for Brian Ferry to come on stage <laughs> with Girl Talk. This is really massive. But, yeah, no, it, it makes sense to me when you think about the kind of where America is music-wise. Yeah. And what have you seen today? Today I went to see Warpaint, who were really great. I went to see Jill and Casablancas who is going through a phase, I think, right now. Uh, apparently people were emptying out and he was going, this is not easy music, you should leave, or oh, something no. like that. Or he was saying, yeah, this is music to repel people. And it did sound, he did sound like he was in a hardcore band for a minute. And that's cool. Like, you know, you should go through all the phases he wants. I love Julian, but it wasn't quite what I was expecting. Was he aggro about people leaving? Because I'm always, when, when an audience kind of, shows their displeasure and runs off I always think it's really churlish of the performer to be like fuck you come back I'm doing my own thing it's no he just looked the same as always he's wearing like a leather jacket you might as well have been wearing Ray-Bans he just looks really um it's kind of like that studied air of I don't really care what's going on at all which I love about him but I guess today actually yeah <laughs> kind of relevant yeah time earlier I saw Banks who I've never seen before and I'm a massive fan of the singles that she's done which she played in a row at the start of the set and then she did an Aaliyah cover so I was kind of 
won over instantly but she looked amazing because she was a proper goth in the desert she had her like big black hat on and a black dress and like against palm trees and so that was really good and I saw Bombay Bicycle Club as well who I love and oh, hugely brought the party to uh, to the tent that they were playing in there's a lot of British bands here I missed Ellie Goulding yesterday I missed Luna George today but I'm kind of proud I want to see Fatboy Slim later for this reason because he's one of the only English people in the dance tent except Disclosure who I guess their big break in America was Coachella last year so it'll be really interesting to see they were basically the buzz of Coachella last year yeah. it's interesting to see how people having now created this movement almost how yeah. people are going to respond to it and this is your first time at Coachella so just tell me what you make of it as a festival in general it's uh, it's like a frat party. The f- yesterday was a shocking thing for me. I've never seen so many butt cheeks in my whole life. There's this new type of bikini that I, I can't remember the name for, but everyone keeps using this buzzword, and it means a bikini that only covers your nipples, which is, which is awesome. But yeah, no, it's a great festival. It's really manageable in size. That was the, the best thing about this festival so far, is that you can walk across it in about 15 minutes. Yeah. All right, great. Thank you so much. Liz Lawrence, everyone. There's a lot of words to come. Just wait out for the birthday high up. Down where the world starts shaking. I'm ready for you to find out. So, hi, Courtney Bonnets. Is it bonnets with the emphasis on the net, or is it with the emphasis? Tell me how to pronounce it's, your name. Uh, it's Barnett. And when I was in when I was in London last uh, earlier in the year, everyone said Barnett. And then they went on to tell me that Barnett means your hair, like the Barnett Fair or something, yeah. something, something, something. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever played at a US festival before? No, never. Uh, this is this is probably the. First. I mean, we played at CMJ, but that was kind of. You know, a small venue kind of festival, like uh, never a big festival like this on a huge, you know, stage. It's the kind of things I used to go to when I was like a little bit younger and had had money to burn. And then I stopped going to festivals because they started being like 600 bucks and shit and I could never <laughs> afford them. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of people. <laughs> um, Avant Gardner, in the UK at least, seemed to kind of come out of nowhere and then really... A horrible phrase but like put you on the map I suppose did you notice that yourself uh yeah I guess I noticed it um with like social media and stuff it's kind of hard not to when everyone's you know tagging you and stuff and stuff <laughs> but uh yeah it happened it happened pretty quickly it's it's funny because I thought I thought that song even though I'm super proud of it I, I definitely didn't think it would uh you know it's not the most like catchy or um yeah, it's not the most catchy song, so it's kind of funny that it caught on. I was going to ask if you had any thoughts as to why it was that one that, that people liked, or if people have even told you why that one kind of meant something to them. From what I've heard, people have kind of said to me, oh, it's, you know, it's so good to hear that other people, like, you know, have, like, suffer from anxiety and other people, you know, can't get out of bed some days and other people... I don't know, have asthma or, <laughs> I don't know, just um, stuff like that. So I guess people can connect with that um, in a way, which is which is really nice. And maybe because they don't hear about it all the time, um, 
not to say that that it's the only it's the only style of that kind of stuff, but it's not the most common. Maybe just blabbering about stuff that goes on inside my head. So. often comment on the quality of your lyrics and the kind of care that appears to go into them. I was just wondering, like, were you always going to set words to music or did you ever think about writing kind of outside of music or what is it that made it this thing that you do now? Um, it's a nice, easy, <laughs> simple question. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know, it just, it, it, it seemed to work well together and uh, I don't have the most patience so like, I reckon I'd be I'd be bad at writing stories, or like even short stories or whatever. And 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 poetry seems like so I don't know like right right there like so vulnerable, uh, which is which is you know incredible to to everyone who writes poetry. But uh, I think I just kind of found found the middle ground. And I like music and I love like I'm a guitarist. I'm not a singer, so. You know, I, I think it just came naturally that I like put the stuff that I wrote over um, over over music. Yeah. Do you think songwriting is less vulnerable than poetry, for example? Because I would have thought that actually it's equally as exposing in a lot of ways. I guess you can look at it either way. I'm just looking at it like I don't know. I kind of I, I don't mean that as a solid statement, but it's how I feel right now when I'm thinking about it. But I don't know, like singing a cappella uh, with no music is is more vulnerable maybe than singing with music behind you. It's kind of like that that like backup backup guy, like your wingman is your music that's yeah. that you're singing over. But poetry, like you just if you like if you're reading it out, then you know you're just there and yeah. like there's no there's no prettiness to hide behind or like no. Yeah, there's nothing to hide behind, like yeah. no loud drums and no crazy guitars. It's it's just like you have to focus directly on the on the lyrics. And I guess sometimes in music, people like people don't focus on lyrics as much. And I guess last question: Are you you were working in a pub until quite recently? Is that right? Yeah. Are you still doing that, or did you have to quit for the uh, yeah. for the bright lights of Coachella? I uh, yeah, I quit like just a couple of weeks ago, which is kind of scary, yeah. but kind of cool. Um, yeah, maybe maybe they'll give me a job back there when I need one. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. That was Rebecca Nicholson talking to Courtney Barnett. 
And that's it for this week. Thank you very much to Harriet and Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you. Uh, tell us what you think at theguardian.com forward slash musicweekly, where you'll also find links to the Singles Club tracks. See you next week. Bye. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag and drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.